and welcome to another episode of Design and Influence. It's great to have you with us. Today we're covering top three IT challenges that architecture, design, and engineering firms are facing. This is something that you probably have come across in your day-to-day running a business. And with 20 years of experience helping IT is helping architects um, with IT, uh, my co-host Boris Rappaport will help us unpack and give you some um some functional advice on how to overcome some of these challenges. Boris, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for having me oh, yeah, <laughs> on our show. You're co-hosting. Yeah. Um, let's dive right in. So, so let's just first of all, list out the top three challenges. Uh, you and I talked pre-show and we kind of agreed. One is onboarding new employees. Two is managing software versions across all the computers in the company. And third is, of course, cybersecurity, which is a big topic right now, and we'll have some advice there. So we're going to take a few minutes to kind of talk about the challenge itself, then Boris kind of help isolate uh, a solution or your advice against um, dealing with that challenge, and then we're going to move on to the next one. So let's open with, without further ado, let's open with onboarding new employees. Where's the challenge? Why is that a problem? And how would you recommend uh, going about it? So I think the challenge, um, and this this is most likely a challenge for every company and every business, uh, but for architects and engineers in particular, the challenge is from an IT perspective, you need to, um, you know, when a new employee starts, you need to have their computer properly set up with all the tools that they're going to be using as part of the job, right? You want somebody to come into the office and the first impression you want to make as a professional organization is you have all your stuff together. Um, and since the computer nowadays is kind of the biggest time where we, you know, the device we use the most to do our work and the tools that we use the most to do our work, that needs to be set up perfectly. And um, a lot of times we see people uh, when they come to us uh, from being a prospective client and then becoming our clients is uh, they're struggling with, you know, bringing new people on board just because of the variety of tools, making sure that everything is properly installed, properly configured and is actually there, right? Something is, you know, the, the person's going to use is actually already installed and they can start using it the first day. Okay. So it's the machine itself, uh, as well as the software uh, stack, we should call it software stack that comes with it because each organization is unique. Uh, they have their own methods and processes and systems and how to sort of do design and and all, all the other work uh, related to collaboration of that, that design and, and pushing uh, pushing design out and things like that. So um, what have you seen that um, worked pretty well for companies that that may not be our clients, but but what what are some of the good, um, I guess, uh, best practices uh, around onboarding new employees? Well, I'm going to say have a checklist, right? You must have a checklist and it could be, you know, we can focus on the technology side um, in this conversation, but in general, right? Have a checklist for bringing a person on from day one or not even day, like pre-day one when they sign their offer letter, right? and all the way through uh, when they actually start and go through orientation. Like all of those kind of steps need to be identified and planned and checklisted because that way you're not gonna forget to do something, right? Okay. So 
let, let's talk about a couple of things on the specifically on this computer and tech setup uh, checklist. What's some of the things people miss you recommend for people to make sure they don't forget to add to that checklist? Well, um, and this is true probably for, um, you know, firms that are over 10 employees, but, you know, once you get to 10, 20 employees, you can have various groups um, that work on maybe different projects or have different tool sets. So you want to make sure that that checklist actually identifies what the role of the person is going to be. And based on that role, which software um, they're going to need to use. So, you know, if they're, you know, if they're a designer and you're predominantly working with Revit and some other tools like Lumion and Enscape, um, make sure that those are the tools or SketchUp, right? If they're a project manager, then they have other tools, um, mainly, you know, any project management software or Excel uh, or things of that nature. So uh, making sure you can differentiate between what the role of the person is going to be and identifying the tools that they're going to use is uh, really um, I think is really critical um, to do that beforehand and not after the person starts. Gotcha. What about licensing? Um, so once you identify the tool stack, uh, the tech stack, I should say, uh, or tool set um, that this person will utilize project manager or whatever, based on their job, what about licensing and, and buying the licenses and, and making sure that all that is uh, squared away? Right. So that would be the next step. Once we know what we're going to need to give this person, we need to go and either find a license that we already procured that this person can use, or if we don't have it, uh, we need to go and purchase it, right? And that has to be, again, done beforehand, not when a person starts and tries to launch it, and then it says, hey, you don't have access because you don't have a license, right? That does not make a great first impression. Okay. So let's say all, all that is is good to go. Now, the internal IT or external IT typically um, helps with that. Is there anything, like what does... What is the responsibility of a company versus their IT provider when it comes to onboarding new employees? I guess I want to kind of delineate that. How does that, like, how you gel that together very well? Well, again, from the company standpoint, figuring out where that person fits in within the structure of the company, right? Whether it's a designer, where it's, you know, an admin person, an HR person, or, you know, project manager, right? Figuring out that role, figuring out the tool set. Um, I think that information needs to be provided by the company, whether it's HR or, you know, whoever does that initial step of onboarding to the technologists who can then fulfill that request and install the needed software and, you know, finish up the provisioning of all the accounts as needed. Gotcha. And one last piece on that first uh, challenge to be all, uh, that, that people need to overcome Um any follow-up, any recommendation on post-initial, post-onboarding? So, for, ex for example, let's say the onboarding has happened, employees started. Um, anything after that that you recommend uh, to sort of keep in mind or, or do um, to ensure the success of that onboarding? Uh, yeah, and usually there is some sort of orientation process that happens either right when they start or, you know, that first or second day or maybe a couple of days, right, where the person comes to the office or maybe now remotely um they you know the hr person or another uh, trainer goes through uh, i guess to some of the basic processes and procedures that they need to start doing their work and then during that step you know some of the basic training is also provided of how to log in certain systems and how to open certain files and this is where our files live and this is what we do you know in this sense so kind of workflow 
training, there there must be an orientation process to get the person into the workflow of the firm and understanding all of the tools and how to access them. Gotcha. All right. So pre-onboarding is a checklist that identifies a tool set. Onboarding is actually acquiring the right licenses and making sure everything is installed and, and testing, make sure the machine can launch those applications. And then post-onboarding is the orientation and workflowing um, and just, just basically get people in the swing of things. So that's kind of, you know, to, to, to box it out, that's, uh, that seems to be like one, two, three step process. Um, mm-hmm. let's hit, let's hit the next one. Um, managing software versions, this could be big or it's not that big. I mean, give us a little bit of a scope of what, how, what kind of a problem is this? So I guess it's managing different software versions across, um, machines or computers within the organization. Right. Uh, I think it's a, it's a big problem or a bigger problem that we tend to realize. Um, and I will explain myself. In an architecture firm or an engineering firm, some of the tools that are being used, like the Autodesk tools, uh, have different versions, right? So we can start with, let's just say, either AutoCAD or AutoCAD Civil 3D or Revit. And those could be major different versions. So usually based on years. So it's either AutoCAD 2018, AutoCAD 2019, AutoCAD 2020, and so on. But there's also minor versions, um, you know, 2020.2.1, for example. And a lot of times um, a company will think about standardizing across the major version because what happens if you launch, you know, a 2020 project in 2022 software, it will automatically pop up a message and say, hey, um, this is older. In order to open it here, you need to upgrade it. And basically, it will ask you to upgrade it. Well, guess what? When you're upgrading it, it now becomes a 22 project. So previous versions can no longer open it. So if somebody created it in 2020 and they only have 2020, but you then open it in 22 and you upgrade it, that person who originally created it in 2020 doesn't have access to it anymore. So they need to upgrade theirs to 2020 as well. So this is one of the challenges, right? Is And I think many firms kind of have workarounds for that, communication and things like that. But, um, you know, standardizing on software um, is very important to eliminate that particular challenge because that could be, you know, people, we've seen it where people just don't know and they do it. And then it turns out that the project um, now can be work on because the consultants didn't have the right version. Like it creates a whole kind of, it creates a bunch of headaches where, you know, a lot of times we just have to go back to backup and kind of restore it into a previous version again. Um, so there's yeah. a lot of wasted effort um, and that's not billable hours um, and not getting work done. It's yep. talking about work, not doing work. Um, okay. And, and so let, let's now let's unpack this a little bit more. Um, what is what should be like, give us the blueprint, a very kind of core blueprint for what the policy should look like. And also want to make sure we don't forget consultants. So, so internal and then external. Um, so, I, you know, what we try and put in place um, is a policy where, you know, we first work with you to identify which versions because you know a lot of times architectural projects and construction projects take a long time so sometimes you may still be working on projects into like construction administration even though the design piece is already done but you still have your models and you still have your documents into construction documentation or sorry construction administration i apologize and you know the project is like five years old so it was started in revit 2016 
uh, everybody's doing work in Revit 2016, but it's now, you know, 2021 and, um, you know, you're still basically using Revit 2016. So we try to identify those projects that are kind of taking longer so that we can still, um, you know, have legacy versions in place to make sure that people can still access those older projects. Um, and then also making sure that with the new tools, you know, people have access to the new tools. So a lot of times what you'd find is we have uh, standardization across the board where every kind of computer um, that an architect would use or a designer would use has, you know, Revit version, let's say 2016 through 2022, right? Or, you know, and once we identify that those 2016 projects are no longer there, then we can uninstall 2016 and kind of maintain the versions going forward. So that's one piece of it. Um, one other thing I want to touch on is the minor version upgrade, um, minor version standardization, because a lot of times what happens is there are updates, as I mentioned, for the software. People just uh, install them independently if they have access or rights. And, you know, if I'm running Revit 21, you know, .2.3 and somebody's running Revit 21 .1.2, um, what people don't think about, even though they're both on Revit 21 and it doesn't complain about upgrading the project, is um, a lot of times what can happen is the person on a different version saves the model. And then it, when the other person opens it, because they open it with a different version, it just corrupts the model, right? And then nobody can access it at all. So making sure that the minor versions match up is also very important um, across the organization to keep the workflow moving and keep the models from getting corrupted. And how would you recommend going about doing that? Uh, you basically have a schedule. Um, so again, our best practices kind of don't, just because it's the latest version, don't necessarily, just because there's an update for it, you don't necessarily have to install the update, right? Because a lot of times the updates, um, unless you specifically need to fix something, the latest version is not always the greatest and it may have other bugs that you didn't have in the previous version. So uh, what we do is we basically say, okay, um, you know, if we have a ticket history and we have an issue with Revit that is fixed in the next release, then we would say, okay, so this fixes this issue. We are going to schedule an upgrade and usually we schedule something either for once a quarter or once every half year. Um, so we have a maintenance window to where we can install these updates. We're going to schedule this update, roll it out across all our organization, right? So every computer will get this update so that everybody's kept on the same version. If there isn't a real need for it, there's no feature or a fix that is required uh, for people to perform their work. Uh, we're just going to keep it at the level that we're at. Gotcha. All right. So, so have a policy and a process to ensure that subversioning is not happening ad hoc. It's happening in an organized and structured way so people's stuff don't break. And again, we don't have kinks in a workflow that, you know, essentially cost money and, and reduce profitability. And um, it's just a distraction and, and, and yeah, eliminate those. Um, so that sounds good. Now let's hit security. So cybersecurity has been a big issue. We hear this all the time. It's kind of nice out of sight, out of mind kind of topic where it doesn't, unless it touches your company and we're, we're all the same way. Right. And this touch you're like, you know, uh, you know, whatever. Um, it's, it's kind of out there, you know, maybe I'm too small or, you know, my chances, you know, my risk level may be lower or whatever. You just choose not to think about it. Now I think it's becoming more clear right now that 
this mindset is very dangerous. And you're putting your own company at risk. You're putting your people at risk. Um, so it's tough. It's tough not to think about it. It's tough also to think about it because, because you're not an expert. I'm not an expert, right? Um, we are as a company an expert, but you're not, right? You're an architect, you're an engineer, you're a designer, you know something, but it's it's tough. So people like uh, your cyber um, insurance uh, broker um, would be a good resource. Your IT provider would be a good resource to have the conversation, the risk conversations. Like, what is my exposure? What is my insurance cover? Um, I mean, we, we, we've already done a bunch of content on this and talked about all kinds of stories and situations that happen with architects, um, specifically because you have all these partners, all these consultants, and you are the target because, you know, your, your company doesn't need to get hacked. You know, your, one of your consultants or someone who's working on the project, collaborating on the project with you, if they get hacked, you know, this will, this will come back. And, and cause huge problems for your company. So, so it's not even just you. So you need to understand your risk exposure. And so what I wanted to refer to boys is unless you have some fresh um, fresh data or anything else, um, I'd wanna refer folks to uh, the course that we have done. Um, this is free for the, for the employees and we highly recommend you let your team go through the, it's a four module course. It's pretty simple. There's video, there's, there's, there's copy to read and it's, like that's your first baseline. Then I would recommend you have a sit down with your insurance broker, um, specifically who understands cybersecurity. We have a really good one we can recommend. Uh, we'll link it out in this article. Um, his name is Zach, Zach Waters with Black Swan. Um, he's great to talk to. I mean, we're talking to him ourselves to understand our liability and how much we need to increase that. So this is like, as business owners, you cannot have your hand in the sand on this one. And, and we're kind of eating our dog, dog food here as well. Um, and the last piece I'm going to mention is that we've done three videos and then we have an ebook. So something that, um, or I guess a download or a PDF, uh, something that you can download and peruse at your leisure. Again, we'll link it out here. Very important piece. Those things that we recommend doing are pretty basic and very doable. Problem is a lot of people don't do them because they're, you know, it seems, you know, it seems like it's, it's, Second nature. No, it's not. It needs to be. It needs to be thought through and implemented um, by you, the founder, by you, know, you, the founding team, the management team, whoever. Um, and then the team needs to be trained and constantly. Those that training needs to constantly update. So every quarter, there's got to be some kind of security workshop. In my opinion, something that you get together and watch. I mean, we, my previous companies, we've done, you know, a, a Monday Breakfast Club where you know would be a topic every 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 week different topic different speakers whatever but once a, a quarter we would talk about security and that's those are my recommendations boys i you know i'm sorry kind of stealing this particular because we, we piece of the show because we've done so much of this already um and we're so deep in it right now that i i wanted to sort of convey those points but do you have any up, um, updated or any other advice outside of what we already recommended um and done so far no 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 i think i think you got it all covered um those are very very good uh steps to follow to make sure that you know you keep your company up and running and you keep your data secured and as you said it, it doesn't necessarily have to be you um who gets hacked right it could be one of the consultants 
could be the owner of the project, uh, but you may then get exposure through them, uh, which we've seen happen before. So, right, it's making sure you understand like how big your exposure and how how much of a risk um, you're facing by just by just running, I guess, by just running your business using technology. Because all we did was pen and paper, and uh, you know. All we needed to do was lock the doors. That would be a lot more secure. But in that, nowadays, you know, you have to use technology. That's what we're here for. That's how we help. Um, but you have to understand all the risks that go with it. So uh, I think all your recommendations align. I'm just going to say that I think the biggest, the biggest risk, or actually maybe two most important risks uh, from a standpoint of security for architecture and engineering firms, it's not necessarily that you're going to get hacked because a lot of, you know, architects feel they don't have any sensitive data, which I'm going to argue with, but it's more of, you know, getting ransomware and getting your project files encrypted and not being able to do work for, you know, weeks um, and not being able to build and, you know, have stress and try to catch up, not being able to meet the deadlines. Um, ransomware is probably the risk number one. And number two is, you know, some sort of, um, you know, scam that comes from one of the consultants or the building owner or, you know, contractor that you're working with. Um, once they get hacked, they can send out scams to um, other people on the project and you may be exposed to that scam and inadvertently send money to people you shouldn't have sent. Yeah. So those are major risks. Yep. And we've seen those uh, time and time again. It's, it, and then, you know, what's next? What's the next thing they're going to come up with? So um, follow our advice, read our stuff, uh, download the ebook, uh, send your employees through the course. It's free. We don't need to be our client. We just, we just, we just need to do it. We feel like we need to, we need to, you know, do what we can to prevent this from happening to your company. Um, and, and if you need help or you need, need us to do your security assessment, um, you know, we're always here. We'd love to earn your business. Um, get archit.com, click contact, and we'll be, um, we'll be speaking to you um, in, in a couple of hours. So um, with that, Boris, appreciate your time. I think this is a, um, the, we, we had some good advice. There's three things that people will need to overcome as, you know, engineering or architect companies. And, and again, if you guys need advice or help, um, just contact us and, and we'll see what we can do. It's getarchit.com. Um, until next time, thank you very much for watching and listening. Goodbye. Thanks, everyone.